So because this is church and because I should be honest in church, hi, my name is Max, and throughout periods of my life, I have been a scaredy cat. When I was a young man in high school and in college, I was afraid of disappointing my teachers and professors. I had to get A's all the time. If I did not get an A, that was considered failure in my mind. And there was a moment my sophomore year of college where I got a D minus. D is in David minus on a paper. And I thought the world was gonna end. And it didn't, but I thought the world was gonna end. When Jenny was pregnant with our first child, I was convinced that I was gonna be a bad dad. I was convinced of it, and I was concerned that my son would grow up and become an ax murderer, or he would hate God and hate the church and hate me. And so that nine months of pregnancy, I read 10 to 15 books on parenting. Boom, because I was convinced, I'm gonna mess this up. When God burdened me to plant a church, I, I had this burden, you know, I, I need to do this, I need to do this, but I was afraid of failing. Nicholasville has a long reputation of eating up churches. Um, and in the 10 years that Jenny and I lived here before we launched Generations, I don't know how many different churches started, woo, and then pff, we're gone. And so I didn't want to fail, and I was afraid, and I was scared, and I kept telling God all the reasons, you know, I'm not ready yet, it's not time yet, I'm not ready yet. And finally, after two years of turmoil, I told my mentor and my boss, I think God's calling me to do this, and I don't know what to do, and he just laughed at me. And he said, I've been wondering when you were going to finally have the courage to verbalize what it is. You know, God told me months and months and months ago about this. I'm like, <laughs> But I'm scared, Steve. Most recently, Charlotte Lacey, who represents us on the mission field, right? She's one of ours doing kingdom stuff in Alaska and then jetting off to Southeast Asia. When she first told me, Max, I feel like God's calling me to the mission field. You know what my first thing in my heart was? I can't lose Charlotte. <laughs> Wah, I can't lose Charlotte. She serves so much. She gives. She's faithful. Scaredy cat. See, I have this tendency with the things that I'm afraid of to do things I shouldn't, to not do things I should. I have this tendency to cross the line into, I'm just going to be honest, sin and disobedience, right? Uh, this tendency is easy to spot in other people. For example, you've got a friend and your friend uh, says to you, I, I'm, I'm saving myself till marriage. I'm not gonna have sex until I'm married. This is really important to me. I'm gonna be true to this. And then they get a boyfriend and the boyfriend's pressuring them. And then you hear them say to you, I just am gonna give in because if I don't do this, he's gonna leave me. And you're thinking to yourself, what are you crazy? I hope you're thinking this. What are you crazy? You said this was important. You wanted to honor God in this and you can't trust God in this and, you know, ding. So easy to spot. Or you have a friend who is constantly telling you how they feel burdened for middle schoolers. And they'll, they're always seeing things about the youth group. Well, you know, they should really be doing this instead of that. Well, you know, middle schoolers really need one, two, three. And this is what they need in order to become, and they're just constantly, and you're like, you know, you should volunteer with middle school. And they say to you, but I don't know what I'm doing, right? And you're like, 
Um, I'm pretty sure like, <laughs> God will help you with that, okay? So I want to, if they'll put up fears, phobias, and anxiety, I want to review where we've been. And, all right, uh, fears. Fears are automatic responses, natural responses when we're threatened. Um, as I said last week, you may not be afraid of snakes right now, but if later on today, while you're eating, I throw a snake on the table, you're gonna jump. I don't have to tell you to jump. I don't have to tell you to scream. It's automatic. Then there's phobias. Phobias are the things that we're afraid of and makes us, make us anxious that may not really threaten us, okay? Um, and then there's anxiety. Anxiety is this, this general feeling of anxiousness and worry and nervousness, and it's usually because the outcome of something in the future is not certain. We are an anxious nation right now, aren't we? <laughs> All you have to do is go to Facebook. We are an anxious nation. Most of us, though, have this tendency we focus on our fears. We focus on what we're afraid of. And because we're focused on our fears, we find ourselves kind of lacking faith in God and starting to walk in ways that are, that are a little disobedient. And so today's bottom line is really simple. You peel away your fears, phobias, and anxiety, you're probably going to find some sin. Now, I know in saying this, some of you are like, well, gee, thanks, Max. <laughs> but... There's a reason I'm saying this, and it's very important, okay? Because God wants to renew our minds so that we trust and love him and love others. And in order to do that, we gotta face some things about ourselves. Uh, in, in Genesis, in the opening pages of the Bible, in the earliest days of humanity, there wasn't any fear of predators or disease. Adam and Eve weren't constantly running around, oh my gosh, oh! You know, there was no fear of psychological, you know, Adam's going to abandon me, Eve's going to abandon me stuff. It was like all the relationships were right. They were perfectly safe. But all of that changes in Genesis chapter 3, and we see what plays out in verses 8 through 10. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the, in the garden. So what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Hey, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Adam and Eve's initial response to their disobedience is fear. They're ashamed, they're afraid, so they hide. They feel vulnerable and uncomfortable in the face of God's displeasure. Okay, sin is really a significant factor in a lot of our fe fearfulness. Now, some fear, some uh, uh, anxiety, etc. There's it's there for a good reason. Um, when you're little and you burn your hand on a casserole dish, you learn right quick, as they say in the South, "Hot, don't touch." <laughs> okay, uh, most of you probably lock your doors at some point. Security experts are probably going to say, hey, that's prudent, <laughs> right? Okay, so there's some good stuff about this. But often, often, we cross the line because here's the deal. Fear and trust move in opposite directions. 
The more fearful we are, the more focused we are on what we're afraid of, the harder it is for us to trust God. And that's what I want you to see today, okay, as we get into the texts. So why am I talking about sin? I'm not talking about sin because I want to judge you, condemn you, because I want you to walk out of the doors today feeling rejected. I'm talking about sin today because I want to shine a light on truth because I know that the truth will set you free. What I want for you is freedom. So here's the good news, and it's just this one slice of good news. You're in good company. You're in really good company. Let's take a walk through Bible heroes. Abraham. Abraham lied to the Egyptians and told them that his wife was actually his sister. Why? She was so beautiful that he was afraid they were going to kill him and take her. Sarah. Sarah convinced her husband to impregnate Hagar. Why? because her biological clock had already expired and she was convinced that time was running out and she was afraid they would miss out on God's promise. Moses argues with God. I can't go. I can't represent these people. I'm not a good speaker. Why? Because he was afraid of failing. He was afraid that he didn't have the talents and the skills to really pull it off. Saul Saul is told, go into this town, you're going to conquer it, but you can't keep anything, kill all the livestock. You don't get the booty this go-round. So he goes into the town, God gives him victory, and then he doesn't order that all the livestock and the cattle are killed. And the prophet comes along and he's like, what's this mooing I hear? (laughs) And Saul's like, why? I was afraid of my own soldiers and the people. They wanted some of the spoils of war, and I I was afraid that if I didn't give them what they wanted, you know, and on and on and on it goes. You and I are in very good company. It's apparently hard to trust God, okay? It's apparently hard to trust God. For me, Peter is the ultimate poster boy for fear. If you know anything about the life of Peter, Peter is, you know, he denies Jesus three times because he's afraid. And then later on, when he's an apostle and he's like empowered by the Holy Spirit, he won't eat with Greco-Roman Christians because he's afraid of offending all the Jewish Christians. He's afraid of people. And you're like, that's the rock upon which Jesus is building the church? I know, I know. Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33, we get a glimpse into the life of Peter that I think is going to be helpful for you. It's certainly helpful for me. So you brought a Bible. We're in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 and following. The context for this encounter, I want to set set the stage. I know you have hard days. Some of you are nurses. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are parents. Some of you have to go to middle school and high school. I know there are hard days to be had. Jesus, your high priest, had tough days. On this particular day, the day before this event, Herod Antipas had basically announced, you know what, I'm gunning for Jesus. Herod Antipas was a very powerful ruler, and what he got What he wanted, he got. And so Jesus is now threatened. To add insult to injury, his cousin, 
and friend, John the Baptist, is beheaded the same day. It's one thing to know, you know what, I'm here, I'm going to die. This is part of the mission, it's part of the plan. But when your cousin is beheaded, all of a sudden that plant, the reality of that really hits. Jesus had had a tough day. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to go out by himself and be alone. Some of you are like, preach, <laughs> preach. Here's your verse right here. <laughs> Jesus had a hard day and he wanted to be left alone. But what happened? Crowds came and crowds came and crowds came up to the mountain where he had tried to be alone. There weren't any grocery stores. They hadn't brought food. So what does he do? It's the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Boom. In that moment, it's clear. Not only can this guy heal, he can meet your needs. Well, he manages to send them off, and he gets some time alone praying on the mountain, and his disciples are out on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. So let's read along. Chapter 14, verses 22 to, say, 24. Immediately after this, so that's what I just talked about, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. I want to be alone. While he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. Far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide by about 13 miles long. It's a little tiny lake. But because of the Golan Heights, the winds come down and it can create a storm in the winter immediately out of nowhere. And the storms that come on the Sea of Galilee can become so fierce that the waves are churned up two or three days at a time before it calms down. So these fishermen are out on the lake, they're, they're, they're fighting, this is the, the thing, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. You have been there. For a divorce had risen and you were fighting guilt. For a huge debt had risen and you were fighting creditors. You want me to go on? You've been here. For those of you that are younger, I hate to tell you this, but your life may have unicorns and rainbows and happy stuff and Skittles in it, but it's also going to have winds and waves. Expect it. It will happen. They were fighting these winds and waves for hours. If you look at the way the, the text talks about the words that are used, it's at least six hours that they were out there on the lake battling wind and wave and wondering, okay, Jesus is up on the mountain. We're here all by ourselves. Great, wonderful. Thanks, God. Well, let's pick it up, verses 25 and following. About three o'clock in the morning, here, let me get that up there for you. About three o'clock in the morning, uh, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid. Take courage, he said. I'm here. The disciples don't expect Jesus to come to them this way. 
They're not expecting Jesus to come out in the middle of the lake. Jesus is up on the mountain praying. They got, they got to handle this on their own. The word used is phantasma, ghost. In other words, they look, they see Jesus, and they think to themselves, yeah, my eyes are deceiving me, not Jesus, and they freak out. They're fearful. Gang, I want to tell you, Jesus is going to come to you in the storm. Jesus will come in the storm. Everybody wants Jesus to come when it's great, when it's a sunny day, when the bank account is full, when you are given the job, when everything's working out, when the kids are like, Mom, Dad, you're awesome. Everybody wants Jesus to come in those circumstances. But I'm telling you, Jesus comes in the storms. That's when he comes. And that's good news because when he comes, he says, Hey, I'm here. Don't be afraid. Well, Peter does something amazing, in my opinion, right? That's verses 28 and following. Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, says Jesus. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. I, you know, look, I take this on faith. This is just absolutely, I look at this and I'm like, this is incredible, right? But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was what? Terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, he said. Why did you doubt me? Peter is focused on Jesus, and because of his focused faith, He's able to get out of the boat and he's walking toward Jesus and his gaze, his focus is on Jesus. And then in the middle of the whole walking on water thing, what happens? His focus shifts. Now he's focused on the winds and the waves. Now he's focused on stuff that really should worry him. And what happens? He starts to sink. This is, I have found this so true in my life. When my focus is on the fact that my bank account is empty and I need money, <clears throat> the anxiety really pops up big time. When I'm focused on what I'm afraid of, when I'm focused on the problem, when I'm focused on the circumstances, and my focus isn't on Jesus, man, those feelings of fear, that anxiousness, I mean, it, it just comes up, I feel it in my chest, my jaw becomes clenched, I'm there. I get it. And Jesus says, now, for the longest time, I read this as such a stern rebuke. But based on what happens afterward, I don't think Jesus is basically, uh, you loser, Peter, right? Jesus had just come from Nazareth where there was no faith. And because there was no faith in Nazareth, he couldn't do any miracles. But here with Peter, Peter had oligopistos. He had little faith, imperfect faith, inconsistent faith. Does this sound familiar? Inconsistent faith, imperfect faith. Why did you doubt me? I'm capable. I'm here. I'm on it. I'm with you. This is what a loving father says to their kids. This is what a friend says to a friend. 
This isn't a boss chiding an employee because they totally messed up. I know this is the case because I know what happens to Peter. After this encounter on the water, Jesus got back into the boat, got into, or got into the boat with Peter, looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're fired. When the boat got to the shore, they kicked out Peter and they got a new disciple who could get with the program and have faith. Is that what happened? No. Jesus didn't fire Peter. Did, did Peter have perfect consistency? No. But Peter gradually over time learned and grew. If you read his letters at the very end of the New Testament, written when he was in his mid-60s, you see, oh, inconsistent Peter got it. He figured it out. At the end of the day, he like, Mr. Inconsistency, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. So all of First Peter is written to a group of Christians who are being horribly persecuted. Their lives are on the line. His life is on the line. And he says stuff like what's found in 1 Peter 5, verse 12. I've written and sent this short letter to you uh, with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you're experiencing is a part of God's grace for you. Stand firm. You can do this. A confident Peter we see at the end of the New Testament. If we can learn anything from Peter's experience on the boat, it's this. What you feed grows. If you're focused on your fear and you're feeding your fear, you're going to starve your faith. If you're focused on Jesus and you're focused on your faith, you're going to starve your fears. So let me ask some questions. Where's your gaze? Where is your focus? When stuff comes along, what, where does all your time and energy go in terms of what you're focusing? Is it on what you're afraid of or Jesus? What are you feeding? And do you believe it's possible for God to change you the way he changed Peter? Let me bring this home in a very practical way, right? Again, if you peel away your fears, phobias, and anxiety, you're probably going to find some sin. And when I say that, I mean because you're not focused on God, there's a part of you that's not believing God's for you or can help you. You have this feeling you're putting yourself in God's position because you're like, I got to take care of this. I got to make this happen. I got to figure this out, right? That's a lack of faith. If anything, we read in Scripture, the biggest thing God wants from us is faith. Hey, he says to you and me, hey, trust me, trust me, trust me. I got this. I got you. Trust me. So the first step for a lot of us, confess. Confess. Hey, God, with this thing, with my mom, with my kids, with this relational thing, I'm trying to make it happen. I'm trying to work it out, and I'm, I'm stressed out, and my anxiety level is off the chart, and I just, and I want to control it, and I want to make everything work out right, and I just can't, and I'm trying to do what's your job. I'm putting myself in your position. There's a part of me that just doesn't trust you, and I, I just confess that. I'm sorry. 
rest in God's forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ask for God's help and ask him to renew your mind. Our Catholic friends are right when they say confession is good for the soul. Because <laughs> when we're confessing, what we're really doing is we're just saying truth. And truth will set you free. The second thing is, take care of your body. Why would I say this? You're like, Max, you sound like, no, no, no. Take care of your body. If you're not getting adequate sleep, if you're not eating the right foods, if you're not exercising re regularly, so if you're sleep deprived, you're eating donuts and sugar, and then you're pumping your body full of caffeine, I'm gonna tell you some things about what's gonna play out for you. All the stuff that are ma that's making you anxious, you're taking a match to jet fuel, which in case if you've never done that, it's truly a memorable experience. <laughs> if you're not sleeping, if you're filling your body with sugar, if you're not exercising and you're pumping it full of caffeine, because when you're focused on your fears, like your body's physiological response is going to be amplified. Oh, we're all gonna die. Okay, you will be shaking. So, hey, go to bed. Some of you in college, right? You're fretting about relationships and papers and you're doing two all-nighters in a row and then on the third day, you're like, I'm gonna fail and I think I should switch majors and uh. Okay, get some sleep. <laughs> get some sleep. Uh, and here's, here's something that I feel really important to say. Some of you are taking medication for anxiety. That does not make you a loser Christian. Do not let anyone make you feel like a loser Christian because you're taking medication. It's ridiculous. If you had a friend who was taking meds for high cholesterol, would you be going, hey, buddy, you just don't trust Jesus, do you? Well, no, my doctor prescribed, nope, give it up to the Lord. <laughs> That's silly. Remember, we're embodied creatures, soul and body, okay? If you want to be tr three parts, five parts, I don't care. I'm not going to argue that. But you got parts. One's the physical part, and then there's some non-physical parts, and it's all meshed together in the wonderfulness of you. Well, for some of you, it may be the case that medication is part of God's provision, and you take it the next 30 years. For some of you, you may find that a few months or years down the road, you don't need that medication anymore. But don't let anyone tell you that you're only the Christian because you're taking medication. You're an embodied creature, all right? So I just want to, again, there is a connection between this and the volume of our fears. I just want you to remember that, okay? <laughs> last but not least, last week I said, look, your fears are speaking. You need to listen to them. What are they saying? What are you afraid to lose? This week, I want you to figure out where's your gaze most of the time. Where's your gaze? Where's your focus? For the longest time in the early days of generations, I was scared to death of failing, of the church closing, of me having my tail between my legs, 
and having everybody say, well, Max Vanderpump, a big failure. When I began to peel away the layers of that fear, you know what I came to the conclusion? At that time in my life, I cared more about what people thought of me than I cared about obeying God. My read of the Bible is that mm, that's Sinville. <laughs> that's Sinville. And I needed to do some heart work in that. And I needed to basically say to God, okay, success or failure, irregardless, yes, sir, boss. You tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. It's not about me and what people think of me. Oh, that's so, can I tell you? That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. If you're in middle school, it's really hard. Okay, it's hard. <laughs> I get it. The second thing, um, and I still, this second one is still an area where I grow, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm with Peter on this one. I'm not batting a thousand. I'm inconsistent. But it has to do with uh, my bank account and provision, right? So uh, when my bank account is flush and I've got tons of funds, et cetera, I have this, I have this sense that I've got it taken care of, it's okay, right? Like, I don't know if you have these feelings, but I know a lot of Americans think in the back of their minds, well, if I just won the lottery, it would all be fine. Mm. <laughs> You'd have a lot more money for a while, but you know, <laughs> okay? And when I peel away the layers of that, when I get to the heart of me, I recognize that part of that is control. I think if I have a bank account, I'm, I'm really in control, and really, that's an illusion, but we're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I'm trusting the bank account, not God. And God wants me to trust him for my provision. I say these things to you because I want you to see, hopefully, hey, one, you're not alone. I am encouraged by the story of Peter. If God can use Peter to turn the world upside down, God can use me, and God can use you. And you know what? No matter what storm that you're in right now, Jesus is coming to you, and he's saying, hey, I'm here. Don't be afraid.